It's time for the first edition of 41 is the Mike, a weekly Chiefs podcast with Nick Jacobs of KSJB 41 and Matt Derrick of Chiefs Digest. 41 is the Mike starts now. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the first edition of 41 is the Mike. I am joined by, as you heard in the open, Matt Derrick of Chiefs Digest. Matt and I have been wanting to do a podcast together for a long time, so this was an opportunity to do it. Matt, Chiefs fall twenty-one to twenty. Um, what are what are your thoughts after that season opener? Yeah, I I didn't see it coming. Even even without Travis Kelsey, even without Chris Jones, I thought this team was going to be a bit more focused, bit more juice coming out of the block. And it was a it was a flat performance, especially on the offensive side. I thought defensively they did enough to win. Special teams had its ups and downs, but was reasonably solid. But this team lives and dies by its offense, and that was not the strongest part of the ball on Thursday night. And for you, what were some what were some key points there in that game that you really felt turned the tide to where that's you know, and it wasn't just one play, but I mean, of those plays, what was the one that really kind of, or what were a couple of them that really you felt kind of turned the tide to where the help the Lions win? Well, the early one clearly was the was the fake punt. Um, that one really seemed to just rattle the defense a little bit and put them on their heels. Um, coming they, at that point, they would have had back to back three and outs. They were allowing two yards of play. Have been very dominant. They get off the field. Got to be pretty feeling pretty good about themselves. And now all of a sudden they're back on the field again. And they were on their on their heels the rest of that drive. So even though it was early, that was a, a huge momentum swing. Um, and, and then I think that there were a couple of different moments, the rest of the game. I mean, clearly the, you know, the the chief's inability to get some things done in short yardage situations, uh, the Blake bell lack of a sneak was a a huge momentum swing. And, and that to me was, was it, I mean, you know, you you can absolutely pick apart all of the drops, pick any of the drops that you like, because almost all of them were killers. Um, you know, take back one of them and the chiefs win. Kadarius Tony catches that ball late in the game, middle of the field. They were in, easily in field goal range. He might have taken that one to the house. Um, but and and the drop, I mean, that turns into an interception. That was a that was a reasonably expectable catch for Kadarius Tony, and it just didn't happen. And it was a rough night for Sky Moore too. Any of those moments. So you know, like I said, I think there was two big momentum plays for sure. But the drops were absolutely the the momentum killers for me for the Chiefs. Yeah, whenever I'm looking at it, and I, I put it out on Twitter last night, some people agree and disagree with the power rankings, but those are what are in my heart. Um, the, like the first one is the Kadarius Tony drops, all four of them. They were all two of them for sure. I know, I know one for sure was it was going to get them in in a comfortable red zone spot and really kind of put them in business, and then. You know, and then you had the interception one that bobbled off of off of his shoulder pads when he tried to catch it. Um, with that, with that one, that one really kind of it get like you said it gave the Lions had jolts in the game. There was a jolt yeah. when that fourth and two happened that really kind of sparked them to drive down the football field. And really, all they did was run, you know, do some runs, do some zone runs, then do some play action pass off of it. And that was the Lions' offense for the night because they knew the Chiefs linebackers were going to crash up time and time again. And they knew that that second level and maybe even third level, depending on how everything was adjusted on the defense, was always going to be open. But you'd back to the Kadarius Tony part. Yeah, that interception off that drop 
that sparked them again and gave them hope again. There were times where they'd get hope, but then they'd lose it. The Chiefs would, you know, bat it back down. But then they would find those little moments, those little inklings where they just hung around, hung around, and then those would spark that. And then, like you said, that that one play that Kadarius dropped that really kind of there towards the end there where, like you said, it could have been a touchdown, maybe puts them in field goal range again, potentially in that. And then even that, even the jet sweep that they had with them on second one, um, just, you know, like, I mean, it, it, I, I don't really like jet sweeps from under center. If My thing is if you do it, do it out of shotgun – because that chance that the quarterback turns around and the handoff, it just it delays time, makes the runner go wider, and it's just it's just very clunky when it's done that way. Then the second thing for me, though, obviously the most frustrating part was, like you said, uh, the short yardage with the with the Blake Bell uh, play design, where they ran a jet sweep out of that too. Um, it's just look, you heard it on the broadcast and they're yelling immediately, hey, it's the play, it's the play, and they, they've already got the, and they have everybody crashing up in those A blocks, or not the A blocks, yeah, the uh, the A gaps, not A blocks, I'm thinking of TV terms right now, uh, <laughs> so that's my bad, <laughs> um, but they, they crashed in the A gaps and they had everything stuffed, everything stacked, and there's just nothing new out of it right now, and I I don't want to see that play anytime soon. Like, there's other ways. You got Isaiah Pacheco. If you got to run off tackle, bring in some extra offensive linemen, run off tackle, run some tosses. I don't care. But, like, you just, your short yardage game has been a struggle for years, and you got to correct it in some way, shape, or form. And it's not going to be through that play. The league knows it, the league stopped it. And you just don't have the horses to be able to maintain that line of scrimmage. For the most part, and and I don't, I'm not even saying that you just need to do a QB sneak with Patrick Mahomes or anybody. I actually hate QB sneaks, especially if you don't have offensive line that can get low enough to get that push. It's just a waste of time, anyways, and risk your most important weapon getting hurt. Um, the other big one for me that I was really kind of surprised by was them going for it on the fourth and twenty-five. Now, for me, there's three yeah. different options you can do with that. They could they could run the play like they did and let them have it inside the 20, hope they go down and score. Now, there's actually two other options that the Chiefs could have done there, and they may have actually worked. It, it would have changed the strategy a little bit, and I don't have a right answer on this one. The first one was if they have Mahomes, just drop back and run out of bounds. <laughs> into a spot into a certain spot inside the 10 15 where the lions got to go score you could do that or you could have the punter take it run out of bounds get a safety and then you kick it and put them back in you know deep into territory so you've already forced the score you've already forced the time or you know the fourth option you just punt it um but he, and not give him any points and you know trust your defense to make another big stop like it had a couple times so i feel like there was multiple options that they on that play that were I think still kind of put them in a good position. But and the other the other part of it I could I'll, I'll I'll rattle I'm still rattling, but the final part is you took the ball out of Mahomes' hands on some of those short yardage situations. Yeah. When he's the guy who is creating for you. Like that that's the most frustrating part for me on some of those is like that's the guy creating for you. Give yourself a run pass option. If it's got to be on the edge with a rollout with the pocket moving, then, you know, I think 
I think those are it. Is there anything that I missed on that part, Matt? <laughs> no, you didn't. And, and and we had very similar thinking uh, on the fourth and twenty-five play. Because that's why my, we're doing a podcast together. My, that's my, why <laughs> I had one more alternative, which was that if you're going to go for it there, then you've got to be prepared to just play Ole defense and drag David Montgomery or Jamar Gibbs into the end zone. Uh, I wouldn't have had any problem with that. I mean, right. you know, I mean, you know, not every team is as smart as the Chiefs. Lions might have run it in. Not everybody's Jerick McKinnon. So they might have gone ahead and put it into the end zone. If I'm if I'm Dan Campbell, I'd probably go for two, and that'd be the great scenario for the Chiefs because then if they don't get it, I mean, now they're only down seven. They can come down and tie it up. I thought that was probably them being able to just allow the Lions to score and then give Mahomes a full set of downs to try and move the ball and get a touchdown was probably a better chance than converting fourth and 25. Just because fourth and 25 is a slim conversion. Um, it might have been 4% versus 3%. It might have been 0.5 versus 0.4%. But I think it was still, I would rather have had the ball in the hands of Mahomes than the defense. I agree 100%. Now, there's two guys we haven't talked about yet that we need to. And we'll start off first with, obviously, Travis Kelsey on offense. What were your impressions? Because because here's the thing. The Chiefs got a sneak peek of this is your life without Patrick, or, you know, without Patrick Mahomes-Travis exactly. Kelsey connection. And so they get to see where they're at. Now, I know the wide receiving uh, group isn't where they'll be at the end of the season. So, obviously, you got to see that development as it goes along. But this was that first reality check. What did you take away? Yeah, that was exactly my my takeaway with it was this is a glimpse of what your future can be if you don't prepare for life after Travis Kelsey. And and I feel like that the Chiefs have have really neglected that. I mean, Noah Gray is is truly the only draft pick resource they've invested in that position since they've taken Kelsey and they haven't really done anything else to address the, the position. I, I get that there's some popular guys who've been in that room, but it's a lot of undrafted prospects that they've tried to mature and grow into tight ends. And, and we're talking about, you know, just, I mean, projects, Jody Fortson was a wide receiver that they turned into a tight end. Demetrius Harris was a basketball player. They turned into a tight end. I mean, this is they they need to invest some resources because the Andy Reid offense always runs through the tight end. It's done in his entire career. The West Coast offense depends on having that guy and Andy almost more than any other disciple of the West Coast. So to me, it's I don't want to necessarily say it's malpractice to not put the resources they have into the tight end position. I like Noah Gray, but last night he showed I mean, he's a nice, nice tight end. He's not Travis Kelsey. Not anybody is, but you're probably going to need to, you know, get somebody that can at least replicate a couple of the things that he does. And right now they don't have that. And and I, I granted, you know, this was a short turnaround time after a game plan was already in when you lose Travis Kelsey. So that's a difficult coaching hole to get out of. But to me, this was a great example. I mean, you know, what did this look like? To me, it looked a lot like the the Chiefs' offense in 2017 when they lost Travis Kelsey in the playoffs in the second half. I mean, even with Patrick Mahomes, this is going to become a more pedestrian offense without Travis Kelsey. It doesn't mean it's going to be pedestrian, but it's certainly more pedestrian, Nick. And, and I'll ask you this, and I'll give my thoughts on it, is what do you think the short-term answer is for however long he's out? How do they kind of work around it? 
Yeah, and I was kind of surprised in a way because I thought that they would have tweaked the game plan just a bit to maybe throw some Justin Ross, you know, packages in there, you know, that we might see a little bit more of him because he's a bigger guy, a jump ball guy, especially in some maybe some of your short yardage or red zone situations. You might see that really didn't look like that there were a lot of changes to the game plan at all. I mean, it was literally just next man up. So I think with more time, that's one thing you would absolutely see is is Andy Reid being a bit more creative as far as how he uses all seven wide receivers and however many tight ends he ha- may have on that day. Um, but that that just seemed, you know, yeah, last night putting a square peg into a round hole. You know, it was not not anything that, that they weren't going to do already. So that to me, I think, is a big part of it is that if you, you know, you probably need to just be more prepared for that because Travis is going to be 34 years old. It's, you know, you, you need to almost just have in the, in the, on the play sheet a section that's what if that happens to Travis Kelsey and have some things for some guys. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with anything he said. Um, in terms of Travis, I know I've kind of talked to you about it whenever we'd be up there at training camp and just watching him walk down the hill day yeah. after day. How he was at the beginning of this of the training camp versus each progressive day after pads and just kind of how slow that walk was and kind of remind me of Willie Rofe walking down the hill sometimes. And I mean Willie Rofe didn't walk down the hill, but watching Willie Rofe walk around the locker room uh when I started interning at uh Metro and kind of seeing that and, and then but then seeing Kelsey turn on at training camp uh, when he's on the field and everything was just just so impressive. But you could see father time catching up to Kelsey at practices on the walk. Just, just, you know, just the aches and pains of playing that many years as he has at that position and taking the hits of the ass. I just, I'm at a point where they're from a Kelsey perspective. I think they're going to have to manage him throughout the season just so that they can have him on game days. So if that means he doesn't necessarily practice as much, or if he doesn't do, you know, this or that during the week. And I think they've got to eliminate blocking for him long-term to where he's not one of the guys blocking. He's the one running routes because he would get tired pretty quickly last year on blocking. And it's a physical taxing job to block guys, you know, twice your size in some regards. And it wears on Travis. And I think they're going to have to manage snap counts to be able to have him throughout a season because they don't have enough behind him. And look, I mean, the offense, the the offense has always been about creating a spark. Whether it's Patrick creating the spark by scrambling, whether it's Patrick moving around so that he can get the ball to Kelsey because Kelsey finds a void. That's the way they could always be able to convert between them or throw a deep to Tyreek or you know get it to Tyreek on a cross and let him use his speed in the past. So they eliminate the Tyreek part. You don't have the Kelsey part. And Pacheco in the run game, that's going to take them a handful of weeks, in my opinion, to be able to get back up to par um, with that offensive line getting in sync. They're going to need a month to get that run game into the rhythm that people are expecting because people are still expecting this team to be at the same level that they were at the end of the Super Bowl last year. So that first game back can be jarring sometimes for, for fans to be, well, why isn't the run game here? Well, it's because one, there's two new tackles. They don't have that chemistry. They don't have those reps. They don't have that experience. But then the other part of it is Pacheco, that was his first major amount of reps and hits and everything that he's had since the Super Bowl. So all those things combined, that's going to take them a little bit of time to get in that rhythm. But Pacheco, 
in a month or so, I think he's going to be in much more of a better rhythm and where you expect him to be, where you expect that run game to be collectively. They just weren't able to lean on it that much last night again against the very physical Lions team. Um, and then, like like I said, with Kelsey, some of those drops other receivers have, those balls would have been going to Kelsey. Like, I mean, yeah. they would have been converted. They would have maintained drives. So right now they're going to have to find that new person to help them at least at minimum maintain is that the running back in the flats with Pacheco or McKinnon? Is that going to be I don't know, rice? Is that going to be maybe like you said, Justin Ross, is that going to be sky Moore? That's the next thing they've got to figure out for however long Travis Kelsey is going to be out. Because like the first thing I thought after that loss last night, I was like, all right, Jaguars is going to be physical too. And so where are you, you going to go from there? But uh, moving past the Kelsey part, which we hope to see him back soon, um, and hope he, hope he, whatever he's got to do is to to get back to 100. percent That's what matters at the end of the day, regardless of what you know, however long that takes is however long it takes. You know, so I mean, that's just exactly. the professionals get paid to step up to the plate, and that's what each of them are going to have to do. And they're soul searching through coaches' film over the next uh, nine days. But switching gears to the defensive side of the ball. Um, Chris Jones was there last night as we saw on TV, um, but he was not on the field. What are your, what were your thoughts of the, of what well, one Chris being there and how do you think that's going to go? And then two, just kind of life without Chris Jones on the field as well. Yeah, it was a bit of a surreal 36 hours with with Chris Jones in Kansas City between what? not only not only the being at the game last night but being at the Ronald McDonald house on Wednesday. Um it was some bizarre moments in in what has been a bizarre situation from the very very beginning. I mean, we're day 49 of this holdout now. And I never imagined that we would have been here. I don't think that Brett Veach could have ever imagined that he would be here. Maybe Chris Jones did. I don't know. But um, it's I, I just I can't figure out a way that that what happened at the game last night with Chris being there isn't going to affect the locker room in some way. I mean, as much as the, the players continue to say all the right things that, you know, Justin Reed talked about, you know, not having any feelings about it. He wasn't thinking about Chris Jones last night. He was worried about doing his job. I mean, that's all true. And and give it to the defense. They did their job. I mean, were there breakdowns at moments? Did some guys have some bad snaps? Sure. But I can't point to that defense and say that there was anybody on that that side of the ball last night that cost the team the game. If anything, you hold the you hold a team like the Lions to 14 points on defense, you've done your job. And you should expect Patrick Mahomes and your offense to win the game. So defensively, they did what they needed to do. I mean, and and I think if any Chiefs fan was told your defense without Chris Jones is going to give up 14 points, you would take that to the bank and cash it immediately before those funds are gone. Um, but it, I just don't see how, Nick, that the, this is going to play well with the players and with the coaches. I mean, Chris, you think at some point is going to come back, and I think there's going to need to be some fence mending because I, I I think there's going to be some guys that have got to be feeling, wait a minute, we're we're, we're we've got a lot our, our behinds out here on the line. We're working hard. We're sweating. We're out here, and Chris is under contract and isn't, and he's making a lot more money than anybody else too. So except for <laughs> Travis and Patrick, and especially everybody on the defensive side. You know, I I can't imagine how that can't be going through some people's minds. And yeah, I, I, I'm gonna 
I'm gonna be about as blunt as I as I can do possibly it. be on this part. We need it. And I apologize in advance. I don't like to do this very much on Twitter or in general. I like to let things play out. But last time it was this week has been a little bit irritating to watch how it's unfolded in that regard. In terms of Chris Jones, I'm gonna say this part. And I wasn't the first person who thought of this. This is actually with my coworker Aaron Ladd. I got permission to use his name on this in advance. Um, before I did this, I would have just said a friend if I needed to, but he was cool with it. Um, Aaron, as Aaron pointed out, the Ronald McDonald house when Chris Jones and his agents showed up for that. Um, if you think about what the Ronald McDonald house is about, it's about children battling cancer. It's about families trying to navigate a future that they're not sure of. And that's, that's real world stuff. And for, for Chris to kind of do a contract press conference outside of the Ronald McDonald house and to be talking about how he wants a raise and how he wants this and that type of stuff from an optics perspective. If I was a PR person, I would have said that's an, let's not do that. That's an awful look, especially if you take into context where it's at. Now I do want to say in, in a fairness balance though, I do know people that were there at the Ronald McDonald house and they did say that he stayed there for two hours, took every photo, signed everything, Try to put a smile on every kid's face. That's the Chris Jones that you and I both know from the locker room. That's yes. who that man is. So I'm not saying that that I'm not saying that he didn't do good that day. So that's that's the thing I want to that that's that's Chris's true heart. That's who he's been the time uh, for as long as he's been in Kansas City from the times he's I, I've interacted with him. I think you probably feel something similar on that part, right? Absolutely. And yeah. you're absolutely right. I mean, had had they chosen to do the press conference at any other location, right? I, I think it would have been much better optics, and that still wouldn't have precluded Chris from doing what he wants to go do. Because I can tell you that he had a lot more fun giving giving Big Macs to those kids and and meeting everybody and signing autographs than he did in the press conference. So separate the two. I don't see. I don't. I don't see why that they needed to be together. Um, that was really odd. But to me, the the message was problematic at times too. And you know, it's. I and to what, you know, referencing what I said earlier. I mean, I, I can't put myself into the the foot of in the in the feet of a Chiefs player because I haven't been an NFL player. I haven't been in a locker room, you know, as a player, and that's a different work environment. I can't put myself in that spot. But Chris, Chris seems to think that if you and I, Nick, want more money, that we can just not show up to work and everything's fine because there's nobody that's going to have to pick up our slack and our bosses are fine. If we decide not to come in for a work for 49 days, that won't be a problem. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I told my bosses, Hey, I'm not going to come in for work for 49 days because I want to raise, they'll say, we're going to find somebody else. Thanks. Um, see you later. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, that's, you have to have a little self actualization self realization there. If you're Chris, that, you know, this is, this is not what normal people can relate to. This is not a normal situation. And, you know, and I get it. I mean, he, hey, does he deserve a raise? Sure, absolutely. Has has he and his team gone about it the best way? I haven't spoken to a single person inside or outside of the organization that feels like he has and, and feels like his representation has. Am I one of those people outside the organization? <laughs> uh, I, I, I think we can probably come to a conclusion there. Yeah. Uh, There's people in one hour drive that come to the same conclusion, too. Yeah, and and in that part of it, also, it was awful optics for him to be in the suite last night, and for that to show up on TV while his teammates are down there battling on the field. It just, 
it I don't see how it's going to sit well with players. How it's going to sit well with coaches that you're supposed to be our defensive leader and you're up in a sweet watching right now when when they need you down there to help them win this football game and to help be a difference maker. That is a you know I mean look Chris is a talented defensive tackle. He's one of the best in the league. Everybody recognizes that, or most people recognize that. I won't say everybody because I haven't polled everybody. Um, but with that, it just like. It was such bad optics and it didn't help him. This this week coming to Kansas City in all honesty didn't it didn't at the end of the day it honestly didn't really help what I think they're trying to accomplish. And it just comes down to what at the end of the day they think their worth is clearly at a certain point and we'll see where the Chiefs are at in return and and kind of go from there. But I'll get into the other part of it and then we'll probably have to wrap this thing up. Um yeah, from a defensive perspective the Chiefs did really well defensively. Um, I thought yeah. Felix Andy on I got comfortable as the game went on. George Karloftis is showing much better, you know, as I, as you and I expected. He's showing significant improvement with the work he put in the offseason with Tomba and obviously with uh, Mahomes trainer Bobby. Um, like, those results showed. They paid off. Karloftis was one of their – he was their best rusher out there on the defense yesterday. And when they get a minute back, that'll be promising. If Chris comes back, that'll be promising. They have a promising defensive line. In the grand scheme of it, though, if I'm the Chiefs, I continue to invest at D-tackle, D-end, and wide receiver, and maybe even tight end every year. Every single year, keep adding on at those positions no matter what because you're going to need a new fresh person to continue to help build that depth and that level. So those should automatically be priorities every single year no matter what. And, and continue to build on those strengths and make those things you can always lean on. Because this is the first time they couldn't lean on the tight end position and they couldn't lean on the defensive tackle position. And Keandre Coburn right now can't be that guy for them because he's still he's still learning the game. By week eight or nine, he may be the difference maker they need at that one-tuck spot. But he's, you know, he's just not at that point. And Mike Dana had a strong game as well, too, and really stepped up to yeah. the play, especially at the three-tech spot when he was rushing in there. Him and Felix and Carl Loftus together is going to be fun to watch. And if they bring in a Minahue and Jones down the road, that is going to be really, really fun. I, I just felt like the one thing that disappointed me was Drew Tranquil not being out there in their base packages because of his ability to cover to where he can step up, but he has the athletic ability to drop back and recognize quickly. He is their best coverage linebacker, and you didn't have him out there on a lot on some of those plays. And that may have discouraged the Lions if he had been out there. That may have discouraged him a couple times to where, oh, Tranquil's out there and he can cover. So this play may not work. This crosser may not work at the second level like the Lions were routinely running when they saw when they saw Chanel, uh, Bolton, and Willie Gay out there in the field together. That's what they kept attacking because in my opinion, part of it is Drew Tranquil wasn't out there. So that is something I'm going to be intrigued to see what the Jaguars potentially do this week. I think it's going to be a little different, obviously, because they're, they're facing a, a very familiar offense that they see in practice every day. So we'll see from that perspective, but Matt, do you have any final thoughts before we uh, head on out of here? Yeah. I'm glad you, you wrapped up with Tranquil there because him playing 13 snaps surprised me considerably. Yeah. I thought I thought he would be out there a lot more. That surprises me more than Justin Ross having six snaps. I mean, I thought the Tranquil was going to get a lot more rotation and and I get it. It was it was their game plan, the scheme, how they wanted to go about things even from the very beginning. I mean, they were putting more defensive backs out there than than linebackers. So 
it was going to be a linebacker light night and they were going to be either going with uh, nickel and dime most of the evening and um tamari connor i'll throw him in there too i thought was was very impressive for a rookie they, they threw him out there as a starter um that i, I he's this looks like a real promising pick in, in Connor. They really like him, and you can you can see it. I mean, he's 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 got it. He looks the part of a of a multi purpose safety and somebody who, you know, maybe can step into Justin Reed's role eventually down the road. And I, you did bring out the part, so I want to ask you this real quickly before we got out of here. Um, Justin Ross Rice. Those are the two questions that I got a lot of yesterday. What? Where do you think their slow progression is? And kind of help explain to people. As I know you know better than anybody, what it is the Chiefs are having to do to get them in posi- positions for success in this offense. Yeah, and that's one thing that's really different with this receiver room because it was just the the depth of it and the way it's structured and kind of the the lack of an alpha in that room, for better better word. But, you know, the Chiefs really have, I'll, I'll probably say four receivers that they kind of trust as far as having the whole playbook at their disposal. But this is also different in that they're not, this is not a year where the Chiefs expect everybody to play every position and just to rotate around. Um, so, but Sky Moore, Marquez Valdez Scantling, probably Kadarius Tony. Um, I think even Richie James, I think they've shown that, you know, he's one of those guys that, you know, can be part of every single snap and be out there in every single play they need him to be. Um, but they've got four or five guys that have the whole playbook. With Ross and and, and 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 Ross and Rice, so hard to say, Nick. I, I stumble over well, every single time. No, no, no. His first his first <laughs> name I've heard it pronounced three different ways, and I, it gets in my head. <laughs> yes, it's either Rashi, Rashi. Yeah, there's there's a lot of different options there, but um, they're going to be they're they're going they have a limited portion of the playbook this year. They're not asked to learn all four hundred plus pages. They are being asked to learn their specific packages, and that's why I mean I don't think you're going to see seven up every single week. You're going to see some weeks where it's going to be a rice heavy game or it's going to be a, re, a Ross heavy game, um, you know, and they'll probably vary in snaps. I mean, even then when they do play, you might have games where Justin Ross plays six snaps and and Rasheed Rice gets twenty. It's just going to depend on the opponent and how they think that they can best attack them. But with those guys in particular, I think you're just going to have to get used to the fact that that that's how they're protecting them. That's how they're developing them is to really give them their their position where they're going to play, give them their slice of the playbook, give them their packages that are set up. And it's it's pretty much identical to what they did with Sky Moore last year. So, you know, expect the exact same game plan. Is the ceiling higher from maybe for both those guys than it was for Sky last year, simply because I think there's going to be more opportunities. And maybe they're, they both have been, I mean, with Ross, he's been in the system a year longer. You know, with Rice, I think he's a little bit more polished in some areas than Sky was last year. So there's probably a higher upside, but that's that's how they're going to try and protect him. You're right, Nick. Yeah, no, I didn't. And- Matt, all I have thought in my head about when pronouncing Rice is I'll just go by his last name for the most part because you can never go wrong with Rice, whether it's that or when you have a bruise and you need rest, ice, rice. elevation. <laughs> yeah, I just that can't method. say Ross and Rice at the same Ross and Ross and Rice at the same time. Well, we all have our struggles, Matt. So maybe that's a journey you know you'll have to overcome <laughs> at this. But uh, so that's that's. You got any final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I I think my ultimately I mean, this game might just be a throwaway game when we look at it at the end of the season. And maybe that this was the reality check that this team needed. Um, maybe some guys needed a wake up call. Maybe this was simply the game that all the drops were going to happen. 
if you know those plays next week go the opposite way in Jacksonville, this team's very capable of putting up 48 points in the Jaguars. So can't overreact to one game. Was it disappointing? Absolutely, especially the way they lost. But you know, this team, I, I think Andy Reid's right. They're they're too good to lose a lot of games the way they lost last night. Agreed, hundred percent. Yeah, and I I think it's going to be a uh, going to be important week for the wide receiver room to be able to kind of look inside themselves and figure out like what they need to adjust accordingly. So, Matt, I want to thank you for joining us. Obviously, on the first podcast you and I have uh, been able to officially do together, that's being released to the public. Um, so, Matt and I, what we're going to do this year is we're going to kind of rotate and see which one's the better balance for us because Matt is better at asking questions than I am. Uh, so well, don't we'll bet see. on it. <laughs> you know what, Matt? I'm gonna I'm gonna lift you up and be the be that the uh, Sherpa or whatever it is. I don't know, but anyways. Um, so Matt and I we're gonna rotate, kind of doing host, see which one works better for the flow and everything overall. But thank you for taking the time to join us on uh, 41 is the mic. We appreciate you taking the time to do that. And we will be back here after next week's Jaguars game. Take care, everybody. You've been listening to 41 is the mic presented by KSHB 41, your home of the Chiefs and Chiefs Digest. Digest.